Hello, and welcome to The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I'm Gloria. During this podcast, we're going to cover a variety of topics that are impacting our everyday lives. We'll look at four things for each topic. One, the absolute empirical truth. That's all about the facts and data. Then we'll look at the personal experiential truth. And that's about how those facts and others do and don't show up in people's lives and their experience of them. Next, the consequential, impactful truth. The difference this makes in people's lives. And finally, you'll hear about resources and solutions you can use to empower yourself and others. So welcome to this episode of The Delicious Truth with Gloria Cotton. I have the pleasure, the extreme, the acute, the he's so cute pleasure of inviting and welcoming my friend, Brian Sorge. Uh, A little bit about Brian before I, and, and you'll also get why I love and respect him so much. Brian is the principal and managing director of LNC Creative Group. And he oversees in that role the development and delivery of client solutions for LNC Learning and brings over 25 years of corporate, nonprofit, and academic experience to his role. I think, Brian, uh, how long have you and I known one another? It's like 20 years or something like that, right? I think so. I think we're hitting the 20 mark. Yeah, yep. I, think, I think we pretty much are. So a yeah. little bit more about Brian, a little bit more, a little bit more. Brian's consulting and coaching. The man is way good at coaching. I got to tell you all this, okay, and developing strategy. His work has spanned most industries and includes corporate leaders, as well as leading governmental agencies and universities. He holds degrees in psychology, sociology from Miami University of Ohio. He also does a whole or has done a whole lot of work with uh, the indigenous peoples in the United States. And I'd like you just to talk briefly about that, uh, Brian, because it really touches my heart and not just work with them, but lived with them, you know, and he's my dance partner and a whole bunch of stuff. And if y'all are listening to or listen to the last two episodes of season one, where I'm talking about post-traumatic slavery disorder, Brian uh, and I have done some work in that regard. And I got to tell you, he was the first person who was white that wasn't afraid to deal with that topic with me. Yeah, I'm giving you your props, man. Okay. <laughs> I just got to tell you. Um, so with that in mind, we're today, however, we're, we're I'm, I'm going to ask him just to talk about his work, as I said, with indigenous peoples. But today I'm talking with Brian about another really precious topic, and that is the revelations of being a caregiver. What is it that you go through when you're giving care to someone you love? And a lot of that is going on anyway, just because people are getting older, but particularly during the times of COVID-19 and all the other stuff that is and was going on regarding pandemics in our country, racism and all of that stuff, more and more people are losing people physically, um, mentally and psychologically and emotionally. So I thought this would be a really good time to talk about this. I, I wish we wouldn't have an opportunity to talk about this, any of us, but the truth is we're gonna. And so uh, that's why I asked him. He readily said yes. So here we are. Welcome, Brian. I love you. 
Welcome. Thank you, Glory, for having me and uh, love you too. (laughs) (laughs) So a little bit about before we jump into this topic about being a caregiver, would you just share with people your work with the indigenous peoples of the United States? Yeah, well, that was quite a while ago. It was right after I graduated under undergrad, and I was looking for something to do of possibly, you know, giving back. And I just put my name out there for some social service type organizations. And an organization out in Chamberlain, South Dakota contacted me, and they were incredibly professional and uh, flew someone down to interview me, flew me up uh, to see the mission that was really about taking care of Native American kids that were in difficult circumstances. Mm. So it was a residential school where there were house parents, social workers, we had a full school, and we took care of over 300 kids ages six through about 18. And uh, my work started of raising 12 kids uh, with a partner. So ran a, a house for the kids and did everything, uh, you know, in loco parenti does in, in taking care of kids and coached and ended up helping with curriculum reform. We looked at the curriculum and it was definitely geared toward middle class white folks and was not working for these folks at all. And so we rebuilt it. And that was really some of my initial work of getting into how people completely process, think, approach, live things so differently at a fundamental level. And it really was uh, pretty uh, significant in how I kind of geared the rest of my career. Mm. And and even how we talk about caregiving, the perception of this is so unique relative to your own life experiences and, and how you approach all this, that that was my first really indoctrination of this isn't just something that's casual. It is, it is based in people's identity. Mm, ooh, see, I had not made that that tie yeah. between what you did then and uh yes, I did. I have for the years that I've known about it, about the influence on your work and how you come to it. But I hadn't thought about it in regard to caregiving. What are some of the key elements that you have taken from that experience and brought over to where you are now? Yeah, I mean, I think just caring for kids who were so different than I was based on how I was brought up, my identity, their perception of the world. And, you know, Native American folks, as well as kids and young people, you know, all these were raised on reservations. And that whole mentality mm. uh, is is a very different one, not even through ethnicity, but also just, just how they perceive majority folks and culture and even anything outside of their own realm. So in taking care of them, you had to really get clear on what they needed versus what you thought they needed, right? Mm. So your bias and all those aspects relative to, you know, this is what children need, or this is what success looks like, or, you know, there were days, to be honest with you, and I think what carries over to caregiving is what we really accomplished is we kept them alive. I mean, that was our our minimum expectation. We might not have accomplished anything more than that. It could have been a rough day. And sometimes in right now who I'm taking care of my brother, it is keeping him safe and alive where he is. That's kind of the minimal. And then we build from there. But some days you're just like, okay, we got all his meds. He He's safe. 
he is, we haven't had any major disasters and we're going to call this a success. And, and wow. sometimes just managing your own expectations and based on what they need. And you, you get hit in the head several times relative when you try to do things that you perceive to be needed and you recognize, hopefully you recognize very quickly that that's more about you than that person or those mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Thank you. So uh, just a little bit of history then. Yeah. How long have you been the principal caregiver of your brother? Just a, a little background as much yeah. as com- you're comfortable sharing. Absolutely. And, and my caregiving actually started, uh, you know, it's been off and on relative to need. I started with my mother about uh, eight years ago, who was in late stages of an lymphoma. And I spent, I would say, three or four months moving in and helping take care of her with my father and then moving into hospice and being in hospice and going through that whole process. Mm -hmm. So that was my first kind of illness caretaking. Took care of kids before that, have done different things. But as far as illness and approaching dying that was the, the my first experience and and learned a lot through that and then was taking care of my father moved him down near me where we live now and you know took care of him for about 3 years um just distance he was in a, an assisted living but took care of all his medical and and oversaw all his his issues and were, was with him quite a bit uh he passed away about a year year and a half ago my brother was diagnosed, and he's my older brother, was diagnosed with a grade four uh, glioblastoma. And for anybody who knows that, that's kind of the worst diagnosis you ever want if you have a mass. Yeah. And it was discovered by accident, and it was discovered about a year and a couple months ago by accident in the middle of the brain, inoperable. Mm-hmm. And so I have been off and on caring for him four months at first, and then um, about five months he was with someone else and now I'm caring for him in the past couple months and we'll continue with help. Of course, people coming and helping family, friends, his children, but I've been the principal kind of oversight lately with this and, uh, unexpected kind of came on. And so you, you know, have to deal with someone who has a terminal illness, who is struggling um, physically, but now we're in a state of he has cognitive symptoms that mirror uh, dementia. Um, and so w- that is a whole new thing for, for me to deal with. And him and him. Oh, yeah. It's, you know, and, and, you know, there's blessings in this. He has issues with short term memory that will never come back. So if he's feeling frustrated or something around a circumstance within a few minutes, it's likely gone because he doesn't have any retention. And then on the negative side, he, you know, doesn't remember anything short term. So it's completely repetitive of of helping him be comfortable in his surroundings and where he is and who's around. And and so it's a whole different caregiving that I have realized as doing this. Um, So I don't want to flip flop back and forth, but I am making a note to ask you, how are you caring for yourself? Because I know you, Brian, and you give and and many caregivers give yeah. so much to other people. And I'm always asking them and you, um, baby, what are you doing to take care of yourself? So I'm going to come back to that so yeah. you can remind people who are doing what you're doing yes. that they need to 
put themselves on that list of people they're taking care of. Okay. Yes. So um, how did you go about finding those resources? First of all. Yeah. I mean, it's it's expensive, you know, it is expensive. The lucky thing is he's being treated out of Miami at an amazing the uh, university um, hospital system there in Miami, the University of Miami. Mm-hmm. And they are dialed in. And we've had him, you know, connected to other type of uh, health care. But there they just have a team, including social workers, case managers who really help you and are on it. Like there we do telehealth. You can, you know, they have amazing technology. If I need a prescription filled, if I need support, you know, who do we go to? So that has been an amazing thing. And I've never experienced that with my mother and with my father. The only time I felt support, to be honest with you, that really kind of helped was when you got into the hospice system. It was Mm -hmm. It was very frustrating that during the illness or care, there's hardly any available resources that are that are there for you versus having to pay. And soon as somebody hits the terminal and there, then all these resources are there and these people show up and they're amazing and it's all covered by insurance. It's it, it, it really reveals a huge gap in this, uh, our services compared to other countries relative to this. Um, I've had friends in other countries in England, when this happens, their healthcare provides, you know, maid service and driving services and caseworkers and stuff to help you, you know, navigate through all this. Be honest with you, you're on your own most of the time. And if you, there's a huge gap the amount of care and oversight that I do just with my brother sometimes is four to five hours a day. And that's not even direct care. That is medication review. That is making sure all the tests are done. That's talking to the multiple people who are his specialists to try to coordinate. It's, it's a full-time job. And if you aren't have the resources or the capabilities or the experience to get organized and, and do this, I do not know what people do. I mean, I'm blessed with being project manager. I'm blessed with these things and, you know, I can get things done. I've got spreadsheets. You can't imagine for all his care and drugs and, and everything. And I don't know what I would do without it. So the other part is, you know, there are services out there and luckily we've got some financial resources to be able to pay for those. It's extremely expensive. Mm -hmm. People assume that if you have good healthcare insurance, you can have people coming in the home and help taking care of people. They don't cover any of that. Even the best health insurance does not cover that. And so you can get a nurse to come in twice a week for an hour, but that's not care. That's just oversight. So, mm-hmm. you know, um, we are moving toward having some more people come in. And the other thing I've done is I reached out to friends and family and yeah. I just, I sent out a notice and said, okay, uncle, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm going to need help and we need to get organized of anyone who wants to help take care of Scott and be here. And literally I had eight weeks filled of people coming and going and supporting it. So I didn't have to be there all the time and could work. And wow. we're very fortunate that we have those kind of friends and that kind of family that can free themselves up and will travel and we'll be here and with COVID. We're taking extra precautions because he's immune compromised. So there's all these layers of care that you have to maintain that takes management and oversight and, and to be honest with you, a certain level of competency, because most people 
have never had to deal with this before. And it becomes completely overwhelming. It's not just the care of the person mm-hmm. daily one-to-one. And, and the other is how do, how do I manage this person's care relative to the healthcare and uh, supporting them? Here's what, as you're talking, and I've gone through this only a small amount with my aunt when she was nearing the end of her life. And actually uh, she had a, a severe stroke and, her daughter was wonderful, but my aunt lived in Chicago. Her daughter lived in uh, South Carolina. And so it is, you know, managing those things. We had help too of other people because I don't live in Chicago. It was, I'm telling you, you, the person who is ill, sick or dying, as well as the caregiver needs emotional support, oh, yeah. mental support, physical support. And financial support. I mean, when we think about, you know, do you have a a system around you, a support system around you? Usually people think only of, I know I did. I thought of the person who is ill, the person I thought about support system for my aunt. What does she need? But I was pretty deep in it before I realized, you know what, Glow? (laughs) Baby, you're going to need some of that stuff. And then I felt guilty somewhat because I was working and traveling mm-hmm. and couldn't be with her as much as I wanted to. And also, this is horrible, at the same time relieved that I couldn't spend as much time with her as she wanted. Isn't that terrible? No, it's not terrible. I I can't tell you the sense of relief when I can go take a 45-minute walk. It is, it's like bliss. You're like free. And, yeah. you know, and, and, and a lot of times spending time with my brother is great. And it's, you know, we, the lucky thing is he has pretty good long-term memory. So mm-hmm. we can reminisce and we talk and we laugh. He can laugh at not remembering things. We come up with keywords, you know, because it's fascinating. If it wasn't sad, it would just be completely interesting, right? Of how the brain works and where this is happening and, and just watching it unfold in front of you. And I'll talk about that with him. I'm like, wow, you forget certain things and you don't. And he goes, yeah. And then he forgot that conversation right away. And we laugh. Mm-hmm. He thinks he goes to high school every morning. Something is fixated for him. He thinks he has high school. He's He is very worried about it. And I said, why are you worried about going to high school. And he's like, because I'm really old and they're just going to beat me up. <laughs> wow. And we're like, wow. first of all, you gradu- graduated. He goes, I did. And I said, and you graduated college. He goes, oh, thank God. He goes, I thought I was going to get my ass kicked. <laughs> so he's very funny um, relative to this. So we just laugh. And, you know, we try different cues. We try all things. So I put a post-it on his bathroom mirror and said, no school, exclamation mark. He comes out and he goes, listen, I saw this thing on my mirror this morning. It said, no school. Why would you say that? Because I need to go to school. And I'm like, well, okay, that didn't work. So you, you know, you do whatever you do. And, um, but we've done some cue words where we're talking about uh, Groundhog Day. Because anytime he wakes up. You're talking even, about the movie Groundhog right. Day. And that means something to him. So anytime he falls asleep, even for 30 seconds, he resets. It's a new day. He'll try to eat breakfast and have coffee. He doesn't remember anything that happened before. And if he does, it it was like from another day. And so he'll look at me very confused. And I'm like, are you on the Groundhog Day? He goes, okay, yeah, that's it. So you learn and find cues that keep him calm. Yeah. Relative, because I can't imagine what it must be like to be that confused and not, you know, to, you know, he knows certain things. He knows he has this condition. He, he understands that, but 
there's a lot of times he just doesn't know what's going on. And to watch somebody who is virile and strong and played rugby at Ohio State and, you know, always was independent and took care of his own stuff and having to remind him, you know, how to plug in a cord that he, he forgets how to plug mm-hmm. something in. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's happened fast. I mean, it's happened in six months um, to watch the decline. I am happy that you all can have those moments of yeah. intimacy together where you can be fully present, both of you, yep. um, and you can laugh and that sort of thing. I'm also sensitive about what it must be like to be him. Yeah. I um, thankfully uh, only know about this for a short uh, accident that I had. I was uh, I hit in the head of a lead globe over a light fixture in my house was uh, suspended, held in place by a couple of screws, right? Well, I didn't know one or two of the screws had fallen out. I didn't know that. And it was a pull chain. This is some years ago. I pulled it and the thing fell down on my head. I didn't know I was unconscious. Uh, I was married and uh, at the time we had a dog and I woke up with the dog licking my face. Um, here's where I, I went to, I've got to go to work. I was looking for, and it was, something was wrong, but I didn't know was wrong. And so I was like, I'll just go. And like, I was in moving in slow motion. And I was like, I'll just go lie down for a minute and then I'll go to work. And it was very good that my, uh, then husband who was a Chicago police officer, was at home in the morning because many times, usually he would not be at home, you know, just mm-hmm. out of three months would he be home in the morning because he was working around clock, but he was home that day. Thank God. And so um, he saw that I was behaving strangely. And so uh, he said, what happened? And he looked and he saw the thing on the floor and he said, uh, we're going to go to the hospital. And I remember saying, why? And then I don't remember anything else until we were at the hospital. Um, and I remember them asking me, did I know where I was? I said, yes, I was at Michael Reese Hospital. That Did I know what day it was? Yes, I knew what day it was. They asked me who was the president. And I gave them the name of Ronald Reagan. And he had been dead for a long time. Not only was he not the president, and I looked at them and they just kind of quickly looked at one another. The uh, person who was taking my, you know, my, uh, the, the information kind of looked at my husband and I knew something was wrong, but I didn't know what was wrong. And I said, this must be what it, see, this has been all these years ago, over 20 years ago. And I can remember right how it felt in that moment. I said, this must be what it's like to have Alzheimer's. And I knew I should know, but I can't find it. I can't find that information. And so I started crying. I started crying and I thought, I wonder how long I'll have this and if I'll ever be back. Yeah. So, I mean, for me, it was, you know, a slight concussion and, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, after a day I was good, but I think about people that's not their prognosis. No, no, and and you know, like we said, it's the curse and the blessing of having severe short-term memory issues, which kind of saves him from being depressed, mm-hmm. saves him from overanalyzing his current situation. 
And but it also causes a lot of just frustration. He can't find what we what we spend the day doing is kind of reminding him who's here, who's coming. We spend the day talking about what we just did. We spend the day reminding him of he just ate. He's on steroids for brain inflammation. So he just eats and, you know, which is great. And, and, you know, he'll have four breakfasts because he took little cat naps and he woke up. And so we just have a lot of cereal and a lot of stuff around and, and we kind of laugh. He'll say, well, I'm really hungry. I only had one bowl of cereal. I said, well, that's your fifth today. And he just looks at me and he goes, can't be. And I'm like, oh yeah. Okay. <laughs> it is your fifth. So yeah. So it's, you know, luckily we grew up in a, a household that valued, um, you know, sense of humor. And uh, we have always told each other the truth. And so, you know, it's it that helps. But it's also, you know, I'm his brother and I'm his little yeah. brother. So hearing your little brother have to help you and support you and do this, it's not easy mm-hmm, mm-hmm. at all. And, and so, not easy caring for a big brother yeah. that now roles are reversed. And with parents, you know, with children who are sure. taking care of parents, those role, those role reversals. I, I want to ask you, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of time to think about this. What have you learned about yourself as you're going yeah. through this? But uh, before we get there, I want to go back to the lack of resources. You're blessed to have, and I use that word, you know, with all truth. You're blessed to have these folks, this organization in Miami, that's kind of one-stop shopping for you. Yeah. What would you, what advice do you have for people who are having the experience you had with your mother and right. your father? where everything is not uh, available, compressed, and organized. How do they find uh, care that doesn't break the bank? Yeah, and I think it's very, very difficult. I mean, I think there's some online resources, but care that isn't, that's free or reduced, I'll be honest with you, I think there's some, you know, nonprofit agencies that can help. And it all depends on your income. So if you qualify relative to certain levels of income, you might qualify for that. Mm-hmm. The other part is if you are on Medicare or Medicaid, you are more covered. Mm-hmm. So if you are of age or have been certified as disabled, that can happen. So sometimes you might have to go toward a disability designation to be eligible than for Medicaid. And so when you're on those, there are more resources that are paid for. So you can get home health care. And the other part is if you're your primary, and this is something I didn't know, and I only learned through a client I have who is actually a home health care service provider. Mm-hmm. So this all happened before Scott. So I learned a lot serendipitously around this, that if you are the primary caregiver and it's under Medicare or Medicaid, you can become certified as a caregiver and then get paid for up to 20, 25 hours a week for caring for your own family member or person. Wow. So it compensates you a little bit mm-hmm. up to a certain level for mm-hmm. your time, up to $13 an hour or something. Then there's a, there's, a, there's a limit. And then you're paid by this agency that goes ahead and bills Medicare or Medicaid. Mm-hmm. But you're certified, you go through some training, which is helpful for anyone. Mm-hmm. So when you're when you're on those statuses, but you can be eligible. Mm-hmm. And we are working toward eventually, if Scott's able to survive months and months and months where resources will be constrained of having him certified as disabled, and that will open up other channels of getting that funded. 
Um, okay. We've done some psychological stuff. But here's those parts is I've had to figure that out on my own. No one told me that. No one said, here's how it goes. So, you know, there are websites of support, you know, and I'm kind of vacillating between, you know, brain cancer and tumors and um, um, mental and Alzheimer's because we're, we're, we're in both of those camps right now. So I'm using both those resources and I'm getting some help online. There is support, some counseling online you can get. There's group therapy online. So those things during times of COVID are incredibly helpful. Mm -hmm. um, so going back to what have I learned, what I've learned about myself is I have always had an amazing amount of energy, kind of endless, to be honest with you. I and, agree. I know right? this is true. He ain't lying, y'all. Go right. ahead. And, and I've always been able to find energy to work, take care of things, help out, do this, travel, whatever. I have noticed at 57, I have limits <laughs> and I am recognizing those limits. Like, you know, after taking care of my mother and then my father and, and, and this and then Scott and work and COVID, I have finally told friends of mine, I said, I think I'm getting to be the point of out. I think I'm out mm -hmm. of energy. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that's the first time I've ever felt that or admitted mm -hmm. that, you know, I can you know, and, and I'm accepting help. I have no issue. <laughs> you know, I am not a martyr. I have no issue with that. So when people say I'm going to come, I'm like, awesome. When you coming? I have no issue. I've created toolkits to help care for him. It's part of my, my field. I have six pages of, of information and here's what you do if, and here's who you can call. And here's so, you know, people can, can do that. Luckily I've had people come friends who are former nurses who took care of dementia patients, you know, who just come in and take over and kick me out of the house for a day or two. So that's been a huge, huge help. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, we're very lucky and it's very, and this is where cultural differences come from. And I'm fascinated by this because I have friends who are African-American, Latino, we're Italian by heritage. And I've had other friends who are majority more white, majority, not of certain ethnic background. And they'll say, well, can't you just put them in a facility? And it's so interesting of that thought. And I'm like, yeah, we people, we don't do that. You know, we, it's just, you know, we're going to, we're going to find resources. He needs to be with family as long as possible. He needs to be comfortable. We don't even think that way. And they're like, well, you know, it's, it's available. You should do it. And it's so interesting that it can appear cold, or appear unfeeling, but it's just more of what people are really used to. And in our family, that was the last resort you would mm -hmm. ever do. And everybody will rally around and figure out a way so that doesn't happen. So mm -hmm. I've noticed that around some cultural differences, mm -hmm. but then you get to the personality differences. There are some people that just are not caregivers. They're, mm -hmm. they're just not. And talking to enough friends and family and online, talking to people, there is always one person in every family. Yes, there is. The most, if not all, right? I think it's a gene. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I'm that person in my immediate family. And, and, and it's just, it's, it's that. And so, you know, it's one of those things of accepting that and not trying to get resentful because resentment does come up. And I, that's a new thing I've learned with myself. You know, there is resentment. There is you know, thinking about, wow, would this brother who I'm caring for ever do this for me? Yeah, probably no. I mean, I've been there. I've absolutely. Been there. Yep. yep. Right. Yep. And yep. so, yep. you know, you, you have to process that and, and, you know, not take it out 
on that person and on the situation, but recognize it's a decision you make. It's a decision. I'm going to help care give as much as I can, regardless of if this person would ever, you know, do that for me. And I've had to work that through. And, you know, there's anger with that and frustration and getting pulled from your life. I haven't been in my house more than twice, my own home in the past month. Wow. And, you know, that happened abruptly. You know, we've gotten a vacation home. We've moved him in there to get security. We're moving to another rental house and I'll be there as much as I need to, to kind of transition as other people come in. But it's, you know, your whole life is many times just completely upended. I was going to say your life has been, and how then do you, because you're a business owner. So how do you fold now your business? into all of that. I mean, I mean, you're responsible for the business. You're not an employee. <laughs> no. <laughs> that no. Is, you're going to get paid whether you go to you can take you can take a leave of absence. Yeah, there's no um, FMLA. I don't yeah. I don't grant myself FMLA. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So so what what have you done in order to keep the money frankly, the money flowing yeah. in? Yeah. Yeah, and you know, it's, you know, uh in in COVID was, you know, the triple thing. And, and you know, so it, it was a little lean during the initial months of COVID. Luckily, things are opening up and we just got very efficient and did efficient marketing and did what we could. And, you know, luckily, I'm pretty good at uh, multitasking and, you know, I'm doing more with less time. Mm-hmm. You know, I can grab a half hour and get a lot done. I can, you know, leave for three hours and I'm getting a whole day's work done in three to four hours. So there's pressure on that. But you get you get real efficient. You know, there's no time for, you know, the, the the other stuff that you would take time to do. So, you know, you focus your efforts and you do it and it's not easy and it's frustrating because sometimes in our work, my work, you just want to sit and think. Mm-hmm. You want to, right. you, know, you know, be prepared for strategy, think about situations, you know, collaborate with people. And I'm still doing some of that, but a lot of it is luckily, you know, I'm at this point in my career that I can put some stuff together quickly, respond, proposals, things like that. But it's, yeah, it's, I miss, I miss time. I mean, that's your biggest miss is it's, you miss time for yourself, for your work, for your partner, for, you know, your life. And that's, that's the biggest issue. Just, you just miss it. So, you know, I started being that one in my family when I was 19, Uh, My mother died when I was 19. She was only 46. And uh, I became the one. I got a lot of attention because I'm also the baby of the family. Me too. But, (laughs) but, okay. But I, so people were looking at me, how's Gloria? How's Gloria? How's Gloria? But I was the one that was making the arrangements, making all the calls, you know, calling the the uh, U.S. Navy to get my brother from Vietnam. And I mean, doing all of those things, making sure everything I ended up getting sick and almost dying after after her burial. I was almost buried myself. <laughs> um, I just started hemorrhaging. All right. I didn't. And I didn't re- express it. That's what I've learned is you have got to express your emotions while you are caring for the other person, whatever those emotions are. And while you're taking care of all this business, you have to take care of you. I didn't know to do that at 19 plus at 19. I thought I was, you know, going to live forever. You know, you don't think about, I, I didn't think about my own health at 19. Right. So, but then every other member of the family 
that died, there's been a lot of them, then in Chicago, I would be the one that at the meetings with the uh, with the uh, funeral home, I was there making sure all the papers were there. All the I was the one. Um, and finally, when I was like in my mid forties, my brother died, and I was I did what I do, um, and I was also gonna sing because that's what I did, sing at the services and stuff like that. And I went to that service. I was frozen. I couldn't do, I couldn't speak. I couldn't sing. I couldn't do anything. I remember going to his ex-wife and I said, I cannot sing. I cannot speak. Will you? And she did. And so people were there who could step in to do stuff. But part of my control was I can control something. I can't control the fact that this person has died or that they're dying or that my grandmother is in hospice, I can't, or in long-term, because she was in long-term care for a couple of years. I can't do anything, but I can control this, damn it. Um, and what I was doing was controlling myself into ill health. Yeah. So what what are a couple of last word, remember this advice yeah. that you would have for people? Yeah, I think remember this is that it's not always going to be perfect and you're not going to get it right. Mm-hmm. And sometimes, like I said in the beginning, sometimes you just have these minimal expectations of keeping somebody alive and fed and safe, right? And the other part is, you know, people say this about, you know, asking for help. And you might have to ask for help of people who are willing to give it and can give it. Mm-hmm. There are some people who mm-hmm. will try to go along, but they're just not capable. And you, you and you, 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 I, I think you just have to move on. I think that's the big part of this of expecting people to do things that's just not in who they are is, is, it's not your role to have teach them a life lesson on the value of caring. And, you know, we've talked about this, the revelations, you have revelations about yourself. You have revelations about what other people, who they are and what they can do. And then you have revelations of of who this person you are caring for. And, you know, they are who they are, even with brain and cognitive issues. He's still my brother. And when he's extreme because of this, it's still him coming out. Yeah. yeah. And so you, you have to manage your own stuff of not reacting because mm. it's just about keeping them safe and as happy. And to be honest with you, we just try to give him moments. And it doesn't even matter if he remembers them with short-term memory. We just, that's our focus of getting him moments. And then, you know, the taking care of self sounds trite, but you know, it really, really is. I mean, mine is sleep. If I sleep, I'm good. I went a couple weeks. Um, he wasn't sleeping and I reached out to doctors. I'm like, listen, we've got to get him to sleep because none of us are going to stay alive. And, mm-hmm. and that's, you know, and it, you know, I couldn't sleep. And when I don't sleep, I'm, I'm, I'm don't function. So it was really kind of getting down to those critical things that sleep, food, you know, care, safety. And when you focus on those and you fill in the gaps with those moments, you know, I think we have to give ourselves a break that sometimes it's not going to be perfect and we're going to mess up. And, you know, it's hard, you know, it's, it's, it's very hard to tell my brother that he now is incontinent. It's mm. very hard mm-hmm. to let him know that he has to put on a depends. It's very mm-hmm. hard, you know, to do that and go through it. But, you know, it's, it's part of, it's part of it. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, I thank you for sharing this. I know something about you that many people who are listening don't know. I know that one of your talents is you are a chef. You don't just cook. (laughs) You are a chef. There's a difference. What are you doing to bring, I, I heard you say you go for a walk and 45 minutes is, you know, that's like a gift. Yeah. from heaven or something. Yeah. But what do you do to bring some joy into your life? And I'm I I'm I'm thinking about all the joy that you get out of cooking and yeah. cooking for others and entertaining. But yeah. what what do you do to bring joy into your life? Yeah, and, and cooking is one of them and I'm a screaming extrovert if anybody can't tell and what's been wonderful about this is we kind of have we call it the commune You know, we've rented a house and people come for a week at a time, sometimes two friends and a family member, whatever, who help take care of him, spend time with him and do things. And we eat together every night. You know, I cook, they cook, Mm. cook together, Mm -hmm. you know, we laugh or, you know, we, we do that. So we're, you know, spending the time and I make my mom's recipes so he can taste those and he has memories of that. So we, you know, we're really making it about that. We have a friend there right now and she said, this is awesome. She goes post COVID and being able to be with people and prepare a meal. And we play dominoes at night and we're just being together and spending that time. And for me, just have people around. Yes. That's great. You know, that's what I grew up with and I'm used to. So, you know, he doesn't realize that all these people are coming in to help be with him and care with him, but he's used to it. He goes, who's coming next? And mm-hmm. like, all right. You know, who's coming next? Your daughter's coming, your brother, other brother's coming. And, and so, that's really helping yeah it's not you know you know focusing on the illness and the care and all that you know a lot of times we're just cooking and eating and playing games that he can so do. that sounds like you're really immersing yourself in your culture in your italian culture oh yeah the things that you and scott and the rest of your family grew up with and yeah. there's you know we we have lost normalcy during these pandemics right. but isn't that wonderful that you have those evenings, those, those parts of your days, you know, the normalcy from the past is going to be there to help you through the now and the future. Yeah. And you know what? I can't work in the evenings like I used to. It's, you know, it's not possible. You know, I have, you know, the the responsibilities and watching and and taking care of, and that's okay. You know, like I said, I get really efficient. Yeah. yeah. And you are taking care of other things in other ways as well. So I want to give that to you. I appreciate it. Wow, Brian, I thank you for coming on. I, it's, it's always amazing to me how quickly time flies when we're talking about something so, so important. And, and it is um, this uh, was showing light uh, in situations that people might be experiencing as darkness. So I thank you for being that light giver as you're talking about being a caregiver. Hello. You see how I'm working that? Yeah, it's, it's smooth. <laughs> Very Thank smooth. You. Thank you so much. <laughs> we will have online ways that people can find out more about this stuff. What's up for you, though, professionally? What is one thing that you're proud of that um, will be impacting the rest of the world? Yeah, right now, you know, we're getting called upon to really help organizations try to get real relative to what they're doing around diversity, equity, inclusion, but also on becoming anti-racist. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're we're proud that we can respond and help people. It's unfortunate. Some people have to get to a place where they are confused and don't know what to do, but you know, as you know, what, whatever, whatever is a precipitating event, if there can be movement and positive, 
you know, do that. So right now, helping strategically organizations and providing tools and things, it's uh, it's very rewarding being able to have a collective life and work experience kind of help people and organizations. Cool. I'll have yeah. to have you back on to talk about, y'all can't see him because it's just an auditory thing, but uh, people have said that Brian looks ethnic-y. So people look at you, we don't know what your ethnic background is. We, we know there's some African in there somewhere, but we don't know because he's got that, you know, that, that Mediterranean darkness about him. So uh, kind of look like a, a lighter skinned Vin Diesel's kind of like that. <laughs> but I'd like to speak. With I have you. hair. Uh, yes, you do. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. Um, but I'd like to speak with you in, at some other time about what it's like for you being white yeah. in the time of racism where people may perceive you as not white. I'd like to really get your perception about yeah. that going forward. Thank you so much, Brian. You know, I love you. And <sighs> just thanks for sharing. And you know what? I'll be glad when we can get together because, Brian, there's a hug in your future if you want one, baby. <laughs> I appreciate it. And thanks for having me on and uh, look forward to our next conversation. Thank you. All right. All right. I really, really want to thank my friend Brian Sorge for being on this episode. Let me tell you some key things that I want to hear. So much, but some key things that I want to take from this. One, as you're giving care to others, you got to remember to take care of yourself mentally, emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, and physically, financially too. You have to remember the same areas that you're focusing on to give them care. You have to focus on those to give yourself care as well. Ask for help. Ask for, Ryan tags his whole family and then uh, friends as well, and he has them around him. But you know what? I didn't ask for help. And I had people around me too. So don't do that. Don't put all of the burden upon your shoulders. Share that. And then when people are coming into whatever space they're coming into, you're managing that space, prepare for them. Give a booklet or he talked about creating a document that I'm seeing in my mind, a three ring binder. <laughs> with information that talks about the person, the medication, uh, the environment that they're in, help them become acclimated and help them be successful in that space. Remember that you can get more resources now than you were able to get before. You can go online. Reach, uh, there are self-help groups out there that you can contact. Of course, go to hospices and doctors and um, hospitals to ask, but also check out your community groups colleges and universities, they may be able to help you. And then look here, it's a situation that is hard for you many times in a couple of areas, not just one, maybe all those things I spoke about before, mentally, intellectually, emotionally, but be sure you look for moments of pleasure with your loved one. What a blessing Brian has those family dinners every night so that his brother can Go back to his cultural experience, and he can too. And then carve out those times for yourself alone. He looks for 45 minutes just to walk. He does get pleasure from cooking for others, but you need time alone also. So give yourself permission to have that. Remember to take care of yourself as you are taking care of others. That's it, y'all. I hope you will remember that. I pray that you do, and uh, I hope you feel my arms around you because you know there's a hug in your future. <laughs> 